right, hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another Antler and Feather Co. podcast, the podcast for new and adult onset hunters. My name's Vince, and this is a show where I, an inexperienced hunter, bring on people who know a whole hell of a lot more about hunting than I do. And as I ask them questions and I'm learning new things from them, I just want to pass it right along to you guys. So before we get going too far into the show, I want to tell you guys about a couple of our friends. Go check out Our Grounds Coffee Co. That's the official coffee of the Antler and Feather Co. podcast. I am drinking some Muley Mayhem right now. It is a great dark roast coffee. Um, Roast Develt is also a great coffee that they offer. Um, And every bag that you buy, part of that sale goes to uh, conserving our public lands. So great coffee, great cause. I don't know what more you want to ask for from that. If you use code AFCO, all caps, that's going to get you 15% off your coffee. Also, I tell you guys every week about Buzzard Roost Saddles. They're the most comfortable, most adjustable saddles on the market. I just spent some time hunting in Arkansas out of state. I sat all day in my Buzzard Roost Saddle, shot a deer out of that saddle, and it was just totally comfortable the whole time. Um, They're a great company. They're American-made. They support law enforcement, support military and first responders. Again, just a great company. Uh, if you want to get a saddle of your own, check them out. If you use use code AAFP10, that's going to get you 10% off your very own Buzzard Roost saddle. And finally, Spartan Forge. Uh, by now, I think everybody knows about Spartan Forge. They're coming out with new stuff every single month, it seems like. Um, and they're just blowing all the other apps out of the water. Um, so even though we're getting into the late season, there's still a lot of important pins to drop. There's still a lot of time to kill your target buck. And that app is going to help you do it. If you guys want to try it out, you can try it out free. If you want to go up into the big leagues and you want to get 20% off, use all caps AFCO on www.spartanforge.ai. Again, that's going to get you guys 20% off your subscription. All right, so let's get this thing going. If you're like me, uh, the main rut's kind of passed and you're still holding on to an unfilled buck tag, especially if you're a newer hunter, we're probably starting to Google the best recipes on Pinterest or whatever for tag soup. Um, For most of us, if we didn't get it done during the rut, we start to slump into this deep depression because the late season seems to be a whole different ballgame. There's a whole new set of challenges that you're going to have to face a lot of the stuff that you did early season may not translate into the late season. So you got a whole new um, set of things to do, a lot more work to do to get back on deer, um, especially after gun seasons. Iowa's gun season, um, as I'm recording this, opens in two days. Um, so that can kind of that can kind of throw a wrench into, into the gears, when, especially when you're hunting public land. I know Iowa sounds like World War III. I'm sure it sounds that way around wherever you guys hunt to when gun season does kick off. Um, when we hear things like uh, second rut, maybe that gives us a, a glimmer of hope. But what does that really even mean? Um, like I said, we're also looking at the upcoming weather changes, snow, changing food sources, Um what in the hell does all of that mean? What can we do with that information and how can we get a deer on the ground? Well, if you're like me or you're, you're the hunter that I just described, I think today we're going to have a lot of answers to a lot of the questions that you're going to have so that you can formulate a plan to get a buck on the ground during December and January and beyond. So our guest today has a real true passion for helping hunters. Um, he wants to help them not only chase deer, but chase mature whitetails. He, uh, he, he puts out stuff all the time on it and he kills big bucks. He goes to different States, public land. He does it all. And he knows what he's talking about. So I'm really excited to see what he has to say about late season deer hunting. Um, and it's not only what tips and tricks he can tell us, but he wants to tell you the why behind everything. He doesn't just want to tell you to go set up in a tree or to use this particular piece of gear and send you on your way. He wants to make sure you understand why you're using or doing these things. So with that, please help me welcome to the show, Austin Stone of Tactical Approach Outdoors. Austin, how you doing today, man? Good. How about yourself, buddy? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm, uh... I'm excited to talk about late season hunting with you because we're at that point in the year where I've killed, I've killed does. I got meat in the freezer, but I still have that coveted Iowa buck tag sitting there. And, uh, I have, (laughs) I actually made this little mount for the last two seasons. It is 
uh, a plaque of the state of Iowa with a stick that I took out of the woods mounted on there. And then I just put my tags on that stick. <laughs> it's like a collection of my tag soup tags. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping That's fantastic. hopefully, uh, some of the stuff we can learn from you today is going to help me actually get after a buck. I'm, I love, I love shooting does, you know, I love them, but Thank I you. really want to fill that buck tag. So before we hop into it, give us a quick and dirty on your latest buck. Cause you just put down a monster recently. Um, the videos on YouTube and stuff are awesome. Uh, the videos you've put out on your page and, and the pictures you sent to me that, that is just an, a great buck. So what was kind of the quick story on that trip? So the quick story there is, um, it was my first year hunting Kansas this year, actually. Um, I just put in and I was lucky enough to draw that tag. Um, I got some good information about, uh, public land and actually is a public land that I've had my eye on for a couple of years, just kind of doing some e-scouting and, you know, future planning and whatnot. And I finally was able to draw that tag and get out there and do some hunting. Um, I wasn't able to get out and do my postseason scouting like I typically love to do. That's a massive part of my process. And unfortunately, I was unable to do it at this in, in Kansas this year. So I knew I was going to have to rely on, you know, my in-season scouting and my trail camera footage and anything and all I could do. So the very beginning of the season i finally got out there end of august for my first initial trip and and just started putting boots in the ground drove around figured out what the food sources looked like figured out what the terrain really looked like um also figured out um whether my e-scouting matched up to what i was seeing yeah actually in in person you know because access can be hit or miss you know it looks like there's access on a map and there's not or <laughs> vice versa. There's actually access there and it's not as difficult as you think it was to get to. So my initial spot, my number one location actually ended up turning out to be exactly where I hunt, I was hunting and um, found scrapes really early, early September. I was already finding open scrapes up there and set up the cameras um, right away, started getting pictures of this big 10 point. And multiple other bucks, but this big tit 10 point was definitely a regular up there. And man, it was, I spent six trips actually up there between the time that I first got there end of August. And when I shot him finally middle of November. And how so, far of a drive is that for you every trip? It was a little over two hours. So just under two and a half hours, I'd say it's not, not horrible, you know, an, an easy weekend trip, you know? So, um, it wasn't like, you know, I Iowa for me last year was a seven, seven and a half hour drive where I was going. So, you know, there's no way I was making six trips up. There. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially Iowa. It's like, you really, you really don't want to waste that tag. It's, it's funny, the perspective on, on the Iowa tag, because I, I live in Iowa and yep. I think a lot of it, a lot of it definitely has to do with my land um, and my experience level, you know. So I, I hunt in Iowa, just public land, and I don't see the giants that everyone's like, you know, they're they're making these long cross-country trips. They're putting in for tags every year. They're just everyone wants to come to Iowa. And I'm like, I mean, all I'm seeing, like, I think the biggest Aside from one private land sit that I did, I think the biggest deer I've ever seen on public land is maybe 130, you know, yeah. like in that range, which great. I mean, I would still be floored to shoot it, but <laughs> I wouldn't be driving, you know, seven hours multiple times <laughs> to sit this. But so you got up there and you, you did your scouting on, on foot. You match everything up. And how did this hunt come together for you? So. After checking cameras, you know, multiple times, I finally had multiple trips. I figured out how the wind worked on this particular location, which, which that was key for me. So it was a very steep terrain in this location, a lot of um, big benches and draws and whatnot. And the top third of this ridge was nothing but a cedar thicket, mm. which also played with the wind a little bit. So the deer were bedding heavy up in that top third in that cedar thicket. Then just below that top third, it was uh, Oak Flats is what okay. it was. And that's where all the sign was. 
So um, I was really focusing on that just below that top third. And once I figured out how the wind was working on the property, it made sense. This particular buck, the 10 point, um, he only used one particular ridge. He never, I didn't at least catch him on camera on the other ridge deeper in the public, but he only stayed on this one ridge at a series of about three different points that I found and multiple scrapes. There is a natural spring actually mm. on that side of the ridge, which, you know, as you know, we had a real bad drought this year. Yeah. Um, he only stayed over there and is very centralized around that natural spring. And he always daylighted. Not every time we got a southern wind, but the only time he ever daylighted was on some kind of southern wind. So I, it was consistent enough that I felt very confident going into this hunt. Um, that Monday I had the first half of the day was going to be a southern wind and the second half of the day was going to be a northern wind. and. I had another buck that I was hunting, not quite as big, but a real nice nine point on the other ridge. And he mm. was vice versa. He was daylighting on some kind of northern wind. So <laughs> I was like, okay, here, here we go. Here we go. So um, I was like, I'm going to hunt this 10 point. He's my number one, you know, in the morning and just kind of see what happens. Um, I found these super fresh scrapes the weekend before. And it was about 50 yards from the primary tree that I was wanting to hunt. So I went ahead and adjusted over to this new tree the weekend before, and I just went straight to it this time, just straight to it. And, and that, that morning was perfect. You know, it's overcast, it was cold. The wind really wasn't blowing real heavy, but I did have a good Southern wind and just, just like playing, um, I ended up having a hot doe come through about probably 45 minutes to an hour before he actually came, came in. Yeah. And and he came, he came in, just read the script just perfectly into the scrape Gotta love and, that. and get, gave me a 10 yard shot as a self filmer. He kind of played with me a, li <laughs> a little bit. So as it, yeah. I'm sure you can see in the vi video, I actually had to push my camera over at full draw. So, so he, he was, he was kind of toying with me with which direction he was going to come in. I thought it was going to stay more to the left. So I was like, okay, he, he's 20 yards away at this point. So I set my camera and I drew and he, he just kind of stopped and he stayed behind the brush and walked further towards the scrape. And then finally, you know, came out and gave me a shot right at the scrape. But I yeah. had, at that point, my camera was in the way for even a shot, much less to get him on foot on film. <laughs> oh, so I was like, all right, well, there's no way I'm letting down my draw and draw it again. He's right. going to bust me. Right. So I <laughs> I did what I could and made it up. I just went ahead and pushed my camera over a little bit. Luckily got good, great footage of yeah. him. And um and my camera was out of the way so I could actually shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's nuts, man. That's it's uh it, it's like the the most exciting uh kind of hunt you could ask for just to have them do what they're supposed to do and then to get that close to a, a mature buck like that like it's one thing to get close to a little guy a young buck you know that doesn't you know he's still trying to figure out the world you know he smells you and he's just kind of what the what the hell is that but to get that close to a mature buck and be able to put him that's awesome and yeah the footage was great so whatever you did bumping it while you, full draw i mean you nailed it <laughs> Uh, you I, ever get nervous? Uh, I know uh, I, this this really got me when I shot uh, like total archery challenge and a bunch of 3D over the summer. Like it's it's the weirdest thing. I am I am dead on confident from 20 yards on out to 80 plus. But you get under 20 yards where there's no pin there. All of a sudden my brain's like, oh, shit. Oh, no. What do I do? Yeah. What do I do? <laughs> Did that play yep. into anything or you just kind of you knew where that pin needed to sit and you let it fly? I've. I knew where it needed to sit. And the only reason I really know that is because I've, I've had so many shots under that 20 yards Yeah, that, that I've practiced, I've learned to practice with it. And, and I just fit, figured out, okay, my 20 basically is going to shoot true, you know, at 10 yards, it might be a lit, a hair high, but it's going to shoot very true to what my 20 pin is set. And so it's just kind of, you trust what you've done in practice. Like right. I know it's going to shoot true. Right. So let's, 
let's go ahead and just be confident in the shot. Yeah. And that, I mean, that in that situation, you have to be, it can't be one of those second guessing your gear, second guessing your shot. You have to, that's got to be on not even close to your mind. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's just really awesome. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to say a quick prayer. And then I want to talk to you about late season deer hunting. I want to try and help as many of us as I can, or as you can to fill tags. So we're not eating tag soup on Christmas. Um, so I'm going to say a quick prayer and then we'll hop right in. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you again for what you did for us on the cross. Um, you came down, you, you stood in our place. Um, you took the wrath that we deserve. Um, and you were nailed to a cross. Um, you died the death that we deserve. Um, you paid the price we could have never paid. Um, and because of that, I can sit here freely to worship you. Um, and, and I thank you for that. I, I want to glorify you through this podcast. I want you to lead. I want you out front. Um, and I, I just hope that you can reach as many people as you can through this, um, use this podcast as, as your vessel. Lord, I thank you for Austin. I thank you. I mean, he's, he's got so much knowledge, um, in an area that, that where a lot of us are just, just starting to learn. Um, and for him to come on here and just selflessly share, um, all the information he has and all the experience he has. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for him and his time. Um, I ask that you'd be over this conversation and we love you. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Okay. So one thing I want to do a quick hunting background. And especially after you, you made the comment, you've had a lot of shots under 20 from my, my limited knowledge. If you're having that many mature bucks coming in that close to you, you obviously know what the hell you're doing, (laughs) you know? So what is your general hunting background? Have you been hunting your entire life? How'd you, how did you get into bow hunting and what drives that passion forward for you? So my dad got me started real young. Um, you know, started taking me out when I was nine, you know, on the first hunt there. And on that particular hunt, he ended up shooting a, a nice little basket rack eight point, you know, and it was super close to us. It was gun season. And that would just kind of fired me up, you know? Yeah. I finally started carrying, was able to carry my own rifle at 10 and, um, always a public land. I never had private land to hunt. I only ever had public land, just what I had available to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you shot my first deer when I was 11 and, um, picked up a bow right around 13. And that, and that's when things really started to, you know, where you, when you really start to learn things. Yeah. It's when you really, when you pick up that bow, I mean, you can hunt a lot of gun seasons and not learn nearly as much as you can in one bow season. Yeah. So, um, you know, it got just hunt, hunted hard and finally ended up tagging my first wall hanger when I was right around 19. I think it was 19 that I, that I ended up shooting a real nice eight point. And that just kind of, I, you know, you hear a lot, a lot of people talk about, you know, it's a lot of luck to shoot mature bucks on public land. You know, it's, there's really hard. You can't really do it on purpose. And right. I, I was just, I have that mentality that I'm like, bring it on, you know? So I like, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of refuse to, to believe that only the people who had super manicured managed properties were, could harvest deer of that caliber on a regular basis. And that's kind of what has driven me to, learning as much as I possibly can, um, and getting to tagging these deer. And, um, you know, the last five to seven years, I would say is when things really have been clicking for me. I've really kind of figured out what, what these deer, how these mature bucks use these public properties, you know, and where to really locate them, um, timing these big deer when then when i need to actually be seriously hunting specific certain kind of spots and whatnot mm-hmm. so um so you know i this is this i think this is my 21st season overall uh, wow. as a de- deer hunter so i've been that i was lucky enough that that my dad got me started young so yeah yeah and uh do you do you think did you gra- i mean obviously when you were younger um 
and just really starting to learn like YouTube wasn't really that big of a thing. Um, all of these hunting shows, all these podcasts, um, all the self filmers, like the really the only places you could really watch. I mean, I didn't hunt at the time, but I remember watching the outdoors channel and stuff like that. And generally that's exactly what you were talking about. It's a, it's a farm. It's the farm's only purpose is deer. Um, and you know, I, I don't have any problem with that style if that's your thing. And after this last week, I'm scared to share any opinions <laughs> <laughs> when you started talking about, well, when I picked up a bow, I was like, hold on, buddy, be careful. <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't have any problem with that style hunting, but it's, it, it doesn't excite me the same as, as public land and actually going out and, you know, chasing sign and stuff like that. But so did you basically, you just had to learn everything in the woods um, did you have like a real strong mentor that was teaching you or did you, were you kind of self-taught? So, so it's a li- little bit of both. So, um, my, my dad was a very successful, um, public land hu- hunter and, you know, he taught us to, you know, you go far, you worked mm-hmm. a little bit harder than the other guy that that's, that's kind of where it started and showing us the kind of sign to chase. And, um, he, he was an adult onset. Hunter, mm-hmm. So he didn't, he didn't grow up with, with it. So it was kind of a combination of, um, you know, very good mentor with, through my dad and then taking it to the next level with as much information as I could find in, in the woods. So that's kind of also what led to tactical approach outdoors, um, is that a lot of, while I was, when I was hunting, you know, like you said, we didn't have the podcast, mm-hmm. we didn't really have YouTube and, um, everything you saw was all centered around private land and managed land. Yeah. You know, even articles, the, all, all the articles written, nothing's truly tailored to pressured deer hunting. Right. So it is, so it's really hard in, in the articles, rarely could you find a seriously in-depth article is very kind of surface information. And as you know, I'm, I, through my stuff, I'm a very much a deep kind of why yeah. Kind of guy. Yeah. So it's like, so I couldn't find it yeah. anywhere. So it's kind of hard to, to learn it for, for a while. And then once things started to click, started finding the information in the people that I needed to follow. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of, kind of just stepping stones. It just kind of built from there. Yeah. And then at what point did you really decide to go forward with tactical approach? Um, what was the catalyst to like, you know, you've learned a lot. You're starting to have a lot of success. When did you say, okay, I need to help other people along and get them, you know, get them on the road to where you are now? Um, the actual business idea started in 2020 during the the shutdown, mm-hmm. actually. So, you know, for I had my channels for a couple of years and I started learning how to self-film. You know, I was carrying a camera. I knew what I knew that I wanted to do this, but I didn't know exactly the route to take it. And and I had an idea about where I wanted to go, but still not a hundred percent sure about the correct route to take. And, um, finally, and actually the, um, in spring of 2020 is when I actually came up with the business idea that you see today. Mm -hmm. So the actual, the virtual mentoring, and um the deer hunter academy i just kind of saw a little bit of a gap in the industry that for information that i thought maybe i could help with and and share my knowledge with folks and see if i could help any way i can to get more men and women in the woods as we can and then also success yeah yeah and i remember the first time i ever uh, heard of you. It was when I was listening to the just one outdoors podcast. Um, okay. shout out to those guys. They helped me out a lot, uh, in the beginning of getting this going. And I remember hearing you on there and I was just starting out with mine and in my brain, you know, I'm, I'm still navigating like Instagram and all that. And I'm like, I think like taking this angle of like the new hunter thing, you know, trying to help new hunters. I think that's good. And then I heard you, I was like, damn it, that dude way beat me to it. Like, cause it's like, <laughs> At least like with me, it's like I'm new and then I'm trying to learn. And then when I'm learning, I'm sharing it. Whereas it's like F word, this guy is trying to go reach the same people as me, but he's super good at hunting. <laughs> but that's that's why I started following you just to learn from you. 
Um, I thought you were really good on that podcast. And uh, yeah, so here we are. I've been following you ever since. I love I love everything you put out. Um, and I've, I've learned a lot just following along your Instagram and watching your YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm real pumped to get you on here. Let's dig into the main topic. So like I said, we've got uh late season coming up. Um, the first rut's over with for the most part for, for newer guys. I, I have a pretty good understanding of what the quote unquote second rut is. Can you kind of explain what that means? Cause that, that term gets thrown around a lot. Like once the first rut's over, people are like, Oh, but we still got the second one. So there's still some hope. What exactly does that mean? So what the second rut means is it's the second time a doe is going to come into estrus. So if it's a mature doe that got missed for some reason, um, she's going to come into estrus again the second time. And then you've got the really young does that just weren't ready yet mm-hmm. in the primary rut. And then, th- so they're going to come in this secondary um, cycle here. Gotcha. That's what that means. So it's like, yes, we still have this secondary rut coming, but don't expect to see what you typically think about seeing when it comes to the primary rut. It's going to be really kind of very centralized. You're not going to see the massive widespread chasing that you saw during that primary rut here, but there's that opportunity to have, if you can find yourself a location that's got a doe, you can actually find multiple bucks in on one spot because these bucks they're they're still looking for the for the missed does so there's an opportunity to at least catch an animal kind of out of his comfort zone or catch two or three different deer kind of trying to find this doe in this area but typically those bucks are they're not going to be like you said they're not going to be chasing miles and miles are they kind of right now as we speak um as i understand home ranges which isn't all that great um are they kind of out of chase mode going back to where they were and then do they just kind of hang around that area and if they happen to smell a hot doe they they might like are they nearly as fired up about breeding anymore or is it just kind of oh that's convenient let's go have fun one more time so yes and no um, that they're still going to travel a little bit, especially at night and just checking the areas that they've been checking throughout the rut mm-hmm. and, and, and maybe on and off, off chance, uh, a new location, but I wouldn't bank on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, he's, he's going to obviously keep an eye on his does that he's got in his primary home range, but he knows pretty well what's going on there especially the age class of the does and whatnot. And I think that's where he starts his primary rut anyways, Mm -hmm. is in his primary home range. So there's a chance that maybe he's got a location that he knows about that he's going to go check, you know what I mean? And just see if there's a a scrape open Um, and just see what's going on in the deer herd and, and whatnot. So He's going to be a lot more centralized to his home range, but there's still an opportunity to get him checking other lo- locations on a little bit larger scale than just his tiny core a- area. Okay. The The catch to that too is that depending on how heavily pressured the land has been, that will also dictate how much he moves during day- daylight. So yeah. Missouri, I, I know a lot, a lot of people don't think, you know, Missouri gets hit pretty hard, but public land Missouri does get hit pretty hard. So this this will go for any, anybody, you know, hunting public land. Um, keep finding properties that haven't been hit quite as hard and have good thick bedding cover. Yeah. With decent food sources close by. And that's that's a pretty good bet. Yeah. And what does, like Iowa's gun season when you guys hear this, it'll already be started, but like our, our gun season starts in two days. Um, what, what kind of, uh, I mean that, that brings a ton of pressure to our public land. What does that typically do to the deer for the next say month? Like how long does that pressure affect those deer after gun season's done and gone? There's no more shots in the woods. How long are they going to be really still 
you know, heightened awareness or whatever you want to call it. The the rest of the season. Yeah. So so he, here in Missouri, we, we get a mid-November gun season. And I'm telling you, if you, if you don't have a buck down um, by the end of November, it gets really difficult on public yeah. land to to tar- target it. So in it's not necessarily the the shots but it's how heavily that property was walked and yeah. you know the we a lot of bow hunters we've started walking this property hard since middle of october yeah. so when you think about that these deer have been pushed around and bumped for a month and a half by a lot of people so um that they, they're either going to be completely pushed off of public property and they're just going to stay on private which we see a lot um or if you're lucky enough to have an area that has really good bedding cover, thick, large amounts of bedding cover, then that those deer are going to stay in there, which you still have. If that's the case, you still have an opportunity at locating a deer on property and then you've got to hunt, but their senses, they've been pushed around really hard for a month and a half. So they're they're going to be on heightened, heightened senses for the rest of the season. That's, that's what I would bank on. Yeah. So what do you, what do you typically, let's talk, uh, like December heading in like all of December heading into January, like my, in Iowa, we end, I believe January, January 10th. Um, there are some States that go further than that into February. Um, what are you kind of looking for when you're scouting at that point, um, in the late season, Obviously, I mean, are you still putting any stock into finding rubs or old scrapes or, or, you know, what are you typically looking for other than hoping to God it snows and you can find tracks? So the only time, the only thing I'm going to put stock stock in are scrapes and only for the first half of December. And Mm -hmm. after that, it's not, it's not going to matter. So, and the only time I'm actually going to put any stock into a scrape at all is if it looks like it is currently being used, not nothing old. I don't care about those at the moment. Um, I'll care about them for next season, you know, except right. as puzzle pieces for next year. But at the moment, I'm only putting any stock into something that's extremely fresh. And those are very few and far between. But when you find them, that could be an opportunity at something that you got a buck or two close by, which is awesome. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and then after that, it's fresh movement. So I'm looking for, um, deer droppings, deer poop. That's a huge sign that not only do you have active deer, but you have comfortable deer. Mm-hmm. So if the deer are not leaving droppings in that particular area, they're not comfortable enough in that area to hang out. Gotcha. So um, that's just kind of a, a travel through route. So, you know, I'm going to hit pinch points. Um, I'm going to find any and all tracks I can and just kind of go, go from there. So what kind of when you're heading into the cold, cold months, I mean, we're, we're kind of there now um, in the Midwest. What do you what are the food sources at that point? I mean, are they obviously all the all the green brows and stuff has either been eaten or it's dead. Um, what what are they eating at this point in the year and going forward into the snow and everything else? So you, you still find a lot of brows, but it's not necessarily going to be the green brows that, that they're eating on. Um, um, but I look into cornfields, soybean fields that haven't been plowed under. A lot, mm-hmm. lot of farmers like to plow under their um, harvested crops. So if that's the case, it's really hard to get a good crop field to hunt if that's if that's what they're doing. But if you can find one that hasn't been plowed under, those deer are going to still browse in those fields. Um, winter wheat is a decent place to look. They, they definitely love those big green fields. Um, I found one property in Missouri that persimmons were dropping through december Hmm. so so it's so keep an eye out on mast trees you know that are still producing and you know the red oaks if you have maybe a late dropping some late dropping red red oaks because the white oaks have already dropped and they're going to mop those acorns up first yeah so if you have some leftover producing oaks you know don't look past those there's a there's a chance that most of the time those oaks are closer to bedding cover anyways 
Yeah. So that's just something to kind of keep an eye on and um, and see, see if you can find really keying in on the bet, betting cover and locations that are a little bit more difficult to get to or have been overlooked. Yeah. So are you, what would you typically look look for for like, here's where I'm going to set up? Are you trying to stay around food sources or are you more looking at travel? Like you had mentioned pinches and, and things like that. What's what's kind of the best area to set up in this time of the year? I'm hunting pinch points and some kind of terrain feature with food close by. So mm-hmm. it does mean that it, on public land it does mean absolutely no, no good to hunt a field and really at close to it at all. But if it's an active food source close, you know, say a mile away, you know, mm-hmm. a de- de- deer will walk a mile like it's nothing. So, you know, if it's, if you've got a good active food source close by, you've got some good pinch points and you get up tight to some bedding cover, that's something, what it, that's usually what I like to try to find. And, um, obviously I stay closer to that bedding cover as, as much as I can, but, you know, I love saddles, um, any kind of dry pinch over, um, ditches and creeks. And whatnot, you know, shallow crossings and and um, benches don't overlook those. Those are usually great bedding areas as well. And um, points. so not not to cut you off, but yeah, um, one thing I'd I'd like to clarify, and I've wanted to do a podcast on terrain features for for newer guys. When you say like the main ones, a pinch point, a saddle, and a bench, can you kind of just quickly describe what those are? Yeah. So a saddle is, um, so you've got two high points on ridges and a saddle is basically think about a horse saddle where where you've got, um, the ends are wider and taller than the rest of the saddle. And then in the middle, it kind of drops, drops down into the bottom and it also narrows as as you go so that saddle is going to drop lower than the ridge tops on either side and also the amount of area around of space actually for the deer to walk on is going to be tighter so you take two big ridge tops and then you suck the traffic in really tight and they kind of go through it like this and then spread back out as they get to the other ridge top that's going to be a saddle and that those are amazing train features to hunt in big woods areas. Mm-hmm. If you can find one that hasn't hunted hard, which is hard to find sometimes on public land because everybody likes to hunt yeah. saddles because they're great. They're great terrain features, great terrain yeah. features, but they work. And then, um, a bench is, it's similar to what I was hunting in Kansas. So you've got the ridge top and then you've got the drop of the ridge, right? And then a bench is where it, it levels out just slightly and then it drops back down. So it's an ease of movement where the deer aren't necessarily going to want to side hill the super steep terrain. They're going to walk on the little bit flatter portion of that ridge. And that's also where they're going to want to bed. A lot of times, depending on how big the bench is, you can find a nice oak flat mm-hmm. in there. So this in Kansas, this was, it was hard to call it a bench just because it was, so, it's such a large area. But yeah. it's still technically it qualifies as a bench on a terrain feature. So so um that's actually the kind of area that I was hunting just below that top third. And it flattened out for me and then it dropped back down into the ravine where it got steep again. Yeah. Um and then a point is it's exactly what it is. It's where a big ridge top comes to a point and then drops down into the bottom. So basically you're t- taking a large area and you're funneling deer movement into that point. And a lot of times that point isn't going to be quite as steep either as if they go down just mm-hmm. off the side of the ridge top. So it's going to be a little less steep, which, you know, for us, we're going to walk up those points because they're less steep. Right. Deer are going to do the same thing. It's going to work. They're basically an edge. That's, that's a way to find an edge without actually having to, a vegetation change. Yeah. So when you're, when you're talking, it kind of seems like 
when you're talking terrain features, when you're trying to figure out what would be attractive for deer movement, is it safe to say you can almost analyze it as like, would I want to walk there or where, where on this, you know, around this ridge or wherever you're at, is it, is it kind of safe to, what would be the best way for me to get from point A to point B? Do deer tend to kind of follow that same? I mean, like you said, they're not going to be side hill, a steep thing, and neither would we. We would seek out the flat area where it's a lot easier to get across. Is that a good way for a beginner to kind of at least start to learn to understand terrain features? Absolutely. That's that's a great way to put it because um, in big wood situations, if you go, if you're active hiker, mm-hmm. pay attention to where the trails are cut. Those human trails are always going to be cut on some kind of terrain feature. So it's ease of movement, right? Mm-hmm. The, and if you have a trail that's going to go down the steep portion, it's good. It's going to um, cut back and just going to zig, zigzag down that, that steep ridge. But the majority of the time, it's going to stay on that, that top third. It's going to stay on a bench of some kind. It's going to stay on top and yeah. it's going to drop down the points where not quite as steep. You know what I mean? So that's, yeah. a, that's a great way to th- think about it. Think about it. If you're hiking, you know, trying to conserve energy where what route would you take right to get to that specific location and a lot of times the deer are actually doing the same thing yeah and the only time that will change is people hunting yeah (laughs) that that, that, that's what will change but when they will will not take that easiest route of of travel anymore is is due to that yeah and to hop back one thing you said earlier that really kind of piqued my interest. You had mentioned that deer are willing to travel, you know, a mile, whatever to get to food. And in terms of, of where you could set up and where you're looking for those pinch points and all those features or trails, whatever. I didn't realize, I guess when my, the public land that I hunt is not very large. Um, so they're not, if they're on public to where food is, it's not even a mile. But a lot of times I think, especially as a new guy in my brain, you have to be closer to that food source because only deer in that general area are going to come. But actually now with you saying that, that kind of opened my mind of like the way that I understand a, a specific piece that I hunt. There are a lot of opportunities where there's like water right in the middle. So there are pinch points um, on both sides that I wouldn't have considered setting up in because I would have thought it was way too far away from the actual food source. So that's kind of actually really interesting to me to put into a game plan is like, maybe I'm, I'm really selling myself short and maybe that's why I'm not seeing the amount of deer movement. Cause I'm so close to the food that they're hoping to arrive at probably around dark. So I must not be setting for enough, you know, far enough up to catch them during daylight. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting little tip. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to and put into practice going forward with that. That's, um, that's actually hundred percent correct. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does the colder temperatures affect deer movement? Um, I had uh grant woods from growing deer TV on here and he had mentioned that there's kind of a, there's a tipping point when it starts getting cold, there's good cold and then there's too cold. Um, and he had mentioned that, that sometimes when that tipping point happens, um, deer tend to maybe move more during the day when it's warmer. What is your experience with deer movement when it gets into like true Midwest winter, December, January, you know, where, I mean, is, is, is there a too cold to even be out in the woods in your opinion? Yeah, th- there is. Um, and I, I found that myself, you know, going through, through the years and there's a difference in how extreme the conditions are. So I love snow. I mm-hmm. love hunting in snow and I found a lot of success through the years hunting in snow, but there comes a certain time of the year and a certain amount of snow that actually negatively affects my results on what I see during daylight. Um, once it gets to that extreme, extreme te- temperatures, I mean, when you're sitting there and stand and 
you don't even see a squirrel get out of the nest till 9 a.m. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to be here. My bow is frozen to my lap. You know, my boots are frozen to the stand. I mean, like, you know, it's just, this is right. miserable. And, you know, you're not seeing even turkey until, you know, 10 o'clock. And right. that the, the deer are doing the same thing. You know, they, they're holding up. They're trying to conserve energy and they're trying to survive the extreme temperatures. So by conserving energy, they're not traveling as far you know what mm-hmm. i mean so you know when, when the sun comes up and starts heating up the the ground and whatnot then you'll start seeing the forest come to life or you hunt a little bit of a warming trend say it's been extreme extremely cold for a week just just like we would hunt cold fronts same yeah. idea opposite you gotcha. know what i mean you know boom you have a slightly warmer day where it goes from 10 degrees to 30 boom, that's a fantastic day to go hunt. Yeah. And, um, and that, and those may be great days to actually hunt the woods, you know, not so extremely close to, to food sources, maybe actually get back and hunt the woods where those deer are going to be walking and browsing a little bit more and, and doing their thing back in the woods. Yeah. And is there, is there a better time of day? Like, would you still recommend getting out, getting in, into stand into the tree, would do you still kind of get out there at the same time as you normally would just to get ahead of them? Or is, I mean, how, what, what would be the best uh, use of your time in late season? I mean, is it safer to kind of in your game plan, think like I'm going to sit through the afternoon, like, you know, 10 to two where normally people are kind of getting out of the woods at those times. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be a bad tactic at all. Um, I still typically hunt it like I, like I normally do, um, in the mornings and, um, you know, I sit all day a lot and a big reason for that is not just cause I like to sit all day, but yeah. it's because the lo- the locations I'm getting to, if I were to leave and then come back one, I'm risking spooking a lot of deer cause I'm so close to bedding. Mm-hmm. And then, um, um, two, it's just a lot of time and effort to get out and then come back in. So I'm trying to just minimize my disturbance on that area more than anything. If I hunt, you, you know, by, by hunting all, all day versus, versus going in and out, it, that completely depends on my access, completely depends on my access and that's spot dependent. But, um, the, the more I get into late season, obviously I'm not really interested in hunting all day. Um, I'll hunt later in the morning, you know, make sure I drag it out to noon and, and see if there's a deer moving back to bet bedding, you know, around that late morning time. Um, and then get out there early again for that evening hunt. Um, yeah, but keep, keep an eye on that, that first light, last light, you know, the, the magic hours as well, cause the deer are going to be moving less during daylight. So, but the extreme cold temperatures like that, yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, sitting a lot longer, closer to, to noon, see if there's a deer using that sunlight and a little bit more warmth to, to move a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a, it probably sounds kind of silly. So like someone, your caliber of hunting, like generally you're probably getting it done early. You're probably not still sitting on a buck tag and towards the end of December and you have, you have more knowledge. So I'm, I'm asking this more for the guys, like I'm starting to get out of the phase where it's like, I just want to be in the woods all the time. You know, the last few years, it's like wind chill of negative 20. And like the, the news is like, do not leave your house. You won't survive. And I'm like, I'll just put on another sweatshirt. I'm going out anyway. <laughs> so that's kind of why I'm asking for those guys who you know, they, maybe we just don't have the experience yet to, to say, Hey man, today's a good day to stay out of the woods. It's, it's probably just too cold. That's where I was like, how can you maximize like us that are making poor decisions? <laughs> how can we yeah, maximize yeah. our time out there in the woods, but especially for you and not to sidetrack off winter hunting too much, but you tend to seem to go in deep and you, you like to use water access. You like to do a lot of the really fun stuff. Um, it's a lot of work. I, I do quite a bit of water access, not to the extent you do in terms of how far, but I still, there's one piece where I have to access it by water if I want to get over there. And, uh, yeah, I remember last year 
I went over. It was it was one of those days you're talking about where it had warmed up considerably from what it had been the previous week. And I got my canoe or my canoe in the water. I get over there. I hunted all day and I get back to my canoe at the end of the day and the water had frozen over. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. So oh, no. I was like. I, I literally had to like crush through ice like the Titanic <laughs> and it was, I mean, talk about trying to be smooth and quiet on your end or your exit. Oh my God. It, you know how a plastic canoe sounds oh, the, yeah. when it hits something and oh, I'm yeah. having to crush ice with my <sighs> oars to just go a foot forward. It was horrible. That's brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but how... What do you use when you have those good days where you do get out and there's a little bit of snow on the ground, not like four feet of snow, but how, what's the best way to use snow to your advantage? Cause obviously, you know, you, you find tracks in the snow very easy. And my tendency is to think like, follow them, find out where they're going. But is that really the best way to use those? How do you use snow once that finally gets on the ground? So, um, I always found my best results when the snow's fresh, like that, that day, either it's snowing right now or, mm -hmm. um, it just snowed overnight and the snow broke like that fresh snow is usually when I've seen my best results. Um, but what I do do is I use it to find converging movement. You know what I mean? Gotcha. I find fresh trails. And I don't just want one trail though. I want converging trails that that way I'm pulling deer coming from multiple directions, which increases my odds of having a deer cross my path. So, mm -hmm. you know, everything we do, you know, nothing's guaranteed. So all we can do is try to increase our odds as much as we can. And, um, I focus on converging movement as much as possible. And a lot of times that converging movement is also where you find sign, you know, you're going to, a lot of times it's centered around some kind of mast tree or uh, terrain feature. But, um, yeah, I love, I love using that snow to find some converging trails that are active right now. Um, and closer to some thick bedding that could kind of tell me, okay, maybe I don't need to sit over here. I'll adjust a hundred yards and sit here instead. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So that, that could kind of tip off some movement that maybe you didn't know was there. Yeah. And how about when you get into the cold, cold um, months, I remember seeing a while back, I don't remember who it was from, but they were talking about water sources in the winter. Um, and they had said, you know, it's, I think this is more tailored towards private land where you've got, you, you can probably sneak into a water source and they were busting ice, but is, is, a if you can find when it's cold, if you can find an open water source, is that somewhere that you would pay attention to or hunt nearby? Or do you kind of not worry too much about that this time of year? I'll hunt close by. So I might not hunt that water source exactly, which honestly, rarely I do. Um, this year in Candace, that spring that I found was actually the first time that I've hunted over a water source. Mm -hmm. um, I want them close by though, because yeah. usually the deer are going to be nearby. The, the best bedding I've ever found has some kind, always has some kind of active water close by. So, you know, if you could find a flowing creek, you know, something mm -hmm. that's not just stagnant water, um, a flowing creek, you know, the ice won't form quite as, as thick because the water is moving. Um, maybe you got some deeper water. And the ice isn't forming quite as thick as some shallow ponds and whatnot. So, yeah, that's a great place to actually find what you can actually do there is locate a deer mm -hmm. and then go back from there. You know, he more than likely he's probably using it um, at night anyways. He's using yeah. it after dark, but that could give you an idea. Okay, there is actually this deer is here. Now, where is he spending most of his time? He's close by. Now let's look into what kind of bedding is close by. And then, right. and then I could kind of branch out and do my scouting from there. So that could be a fantastic place to actually locate a deer and then branch out and figure out where you want to hunt him from there, according to bedding. Yeah. I was kind of curious because with the, I think a lot of the Midwest or a lot of, a lot of people 
complained about the drought this year. So I saw a big uptick in people primarily hunting over a water source and kind of using that as a tactic that in previous years, I haven't seen people really key in like water. Finding water was important, uh, kind of like what you're saying, just to, to help locate and just as kind of a kind of a checkpoint. But this year, I seem to see people say, hey, I was I was setting up right off of a creek or right off of a pond, whatever it may be. So I didn't know if that would still carry into the winter the same way or not. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good tip in terms of how to, how to use that for our scouting. Um, so typically what, what would be to kind of just wrap up on, on winter hunting? Um, my hopes are still just because of the way it is, <laughs> my hopes are still not high, but I feel like I've, you've, you've given a lot of good information on to where I can actually feel like I put a plan together versus just throwing a Hail Mary. Um, what would be like the top three things you would say to consider December and January when you're going out to hunt? Um, bedding, low pressured bedding is number one. Um, you, and if you find any fresh sign there, typically there's food sources somewhat close by and, um, water, obviously, like we just talked about somewhat close by, you know, typically with it, not to circle back to water too hard here, but usually there I have water all over the place. That's never been a huge issue. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I own livestock. I have horses and they always drink water more during winter than even they do the, the heat of summer. Mm. So, so to, to throw into a little bit of a livestock reference there, my horses will drink water extremely heavy during the winter time. So that, that is something to kind of keep that, you know, the deer, I, they're going to, you know, behave very similarly. So, um, you need those key features together and I, I'm just looking for fresh sign and I'm, don't be afraid to move. You know, if the deer yeah. aren't there, they're more likely not there. If the sign's not there, I like move, leave. Yeah. And, um, this is times, this time of the year, I, I like searching new properties, um, I don't have super high hopes when the further it gets into the, the, the end of the season, you know, more late yeah. season, winter time. A lot, a lot of times these deer have been pushed off of public or we just don't have a good food source on public. Yeah. That, that's, that happens a lot too. There's just not a good winter food source on public. So the deer aren't, aren't going to be there even if they haven't been pressured very heavily. Yeah. Um, so I like, I like searching new, new properties this, this time also and seeing if I can find some fresh sign, um, get creative. Don't try Don't be afraid of trying a little bit different location or new location than what you've been hunting, you know, through November. Mm -hmm. So, um, just kind of start thinking out of the box and whatnot and, um, figure out where the deer haven't been pushed around maybe quite as much. Right. And then it kind of seems like in terms of movement, everything just kind of tightens up. It does. In terms mm -hmm. of, yeah, if you do find which, those. Yeah, go ahead. Which makes it which makes it fun because that also means that you could put a pattern together again. Yeah. So so you go from very widespread random movement during the rut back to a little bit more patternable, um, predictable, close-knit movement right you know what i mean so right. so it's like that's kind of the thing if you're not on deer you're not on deer but if you have the ability to actually find some fresh sign there's a decent chance you could probably see 20 to 30 deer in a sit because the deer are herded back up and they're not moving quite as long distances gotcha yeah that's that's a great that's a great place to kind of end off with that um yeah and i'm gonna i'm gonna really I still got that tag. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of have a different approach going into this winter. Cause last winter, it's just kind of like find tracks, follow them around, probably bump everything that might be nearby. And, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yep. before we cut out of here, I want to give you opportunity. I, I think, like I said, this podcast is geared towards new guys and, and your deer hunter Academy, um, offers, just, I mean, the, the thing, I have not gone through it, but I've heard you talk about it. I've heard other guys talk about it. It's like an, a complete course 
on deer hunting. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and where people can find that? Absolutely. Um, deer hunter Academy, you can find on my website, which is tactical approach outdoors.com. It's like you said, it's a big course. I, I cover 23 different topics. It's over five hours of video content. It's got 40 different 40 videos in it. And I, I cover everything scent control I go into detail with terrain features, hunting the wind, um, mindset. That's a bit big one. I don't feel like it's touched on a lot. And that's, that could, that's a big game changer when it comes to a public land hunter. Yeah. And I cover a lot of different details in that, that course. And at the end, I, I wrap it up in kind of a five video blueprint to success and kind of mm -hmm. my whole system, you know, e-scouting, everything I've touched on through the course, starting at e-scouting and ending with the hunt itself, the whole process, putting it all together and, and get, showing you kind of the why and how to as much as I can. Yeah. And that's one thing about what you do that I really appreciate from a newer perspective is like we were saying before, everybody and their brother gives hunting tips mm -hmm. and they tell you, you know, just go hunt this food source at this time. Go hunt that at this time. Use this piece of equipment. And then, yeah, the, for those of us that are a little more like, well, how come? Like, what, yeah. what's the reasoning? There's usually not the reasoning behind it. It's just do this because it works for me. And I also probably make a commission off this product I'm trying to sell you. <laughs> but no, that yeah. that deer hunter, that, that academy, like, it seems like such an incredible resource for for a guy who, you know, like me, you don't have a hunting family. You don't have people to teach you. You're kind of just YouTube universitying it. Um, make sure you guys, if, you, if you're listening and you want to learn a lot in one place about deer hunting, that's the place to go. That's it's, it's definitely worth, um, all the time it's going to take to get through it. Cause like you said, it's a long course, but you're going to, I feel like you're going to gain so much that otherwise would take you years and years and years to learn on your own. Um, so guys, make sure you check that out. Um, also you offer, you had mentioned like on, to, uh, online mentoring and consulting, what kind of stuff do you do with that? So the online mentoring, um, that goes hand in hand with deer hunter Academy. And the only difference between just going with deer hunting hunter Academy and then going with the actual virtual mentoring is you have access to me to actually walk you through the season. So, so they actually um, get to talk. You actually interact with them one-on-one. -on -one? Yes. Yes. That's and awesome. that, and that, that's something that I wanted to do that was different than what other people were doing. Right. A lot of people were do doing that virtual consulting. You know, you scheduled a phone call, you had an hour phone call, you know, hundred bucks here, you know, okay. I kind of learned some stuff, got some answers, questions answered, but you know, I, Still kind of got to fit, figure it out, but, um, that's what I wanted to change about that. Cause as you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times you need an answer to a question right now that yeah. could make or break a hunt it, Yeah, as simple as what do you think about this blood? You know right. what I mean? Should, should I, am I good to go ahead and pursue this animal or should I back out for six hours or more, you know? Right. So like, like that, that could be the difference between recovering an animal or not. Um, yeah. you know, what do you think about this tree over this tree? As you know, as a bow hunter, 20 yards could make a break, whether you oh, get yeah. a shot or not. So, you know, I wanted to be more immediate with my availability when it comes to those, those mentoring, um, services. And I love that, that idea. Cause that's, you know, I had that, I had, I was able to talk to my dad and other family and friends, you know, right away, you text your buddy, you got a question. Um, not everybody has that available. Yeah. So it's like, I wanted to make that available to anybody who was interested in that. That is such an incredible idea and, and just a invaluable resource for, for a new guy. Cause like you said, there's, there are many, many times where something is happening real time and you're just like, I, I don't know what to do. There's just, and, and then you go and you try to research it and you forget details or it's such a, it's, it's such a like in the moment situation. That's probably, it may never happen again. 
Yeah. Or like you said, if it comes to trailing a deer, like you're, you're on a time crunch there. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really awesome that you offer that. Um, just for anybody that's interested, where can they find you online? Uh, where can they find you on YouTube and Instagram and all that good stuff? So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok, I'm Tactical Approach Outdoors. So if you just type, you know, search Tactical Approach Outdoors on any of those platforms, you're going to find me. Um, my website is tacticalapproachoutdoors.com. Um, that'll take you to a lot more details about me, the business. You can see Deer Hunter Academy in that. Um, I've got a merchandise store. And also you can see my private land consulting services. And, and I just like we just talked about the mentoring services mm-hmm. as well. So that, that'll that just give you a lot more detail about everything that I offer and what, what Tactical Approach Outdoors is all about and, and who I am. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me today and, and answering all my dumb questions. Um, like I said, I the late season can seem kind of hopeless, but I think... I, I really feel like I'm going to be able to put something together that that's going to, I think I can still fill a tag here. And so I appreciate all your time guys. Make sure you're following us on Instagram. That's at antler feather co. You can search us on YouTube. That's also at antler feather co. And we're on Facebook too. That's basically all the scraps from Instagram gets pushed over there. Um, but yeah, Hey, I appreciate all you guys listening. If you guys found value in this show, if you feel like you, uh, added some new tools to your arsenal, then please subscribe, follow, like, share all that good stuff. If you could go rate and review this rating and reviewing ultimately just helps get this in front of more people. Um, and the more people that we get in front of, you know, we can keep bringing on great guests, which in turn makes you a more deadly hunter in the woods. And that's what we're all after. So, I appreciate every single one of you guys. I really do. Thank you for listening this week. We will catch up with you next week. This is the Antler and Featherco podcast. You are listening to the Antler and Featherco podcast. 